We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. You can listen to old archive shows there and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. Great to see you. You're thought out and uh, all that sort of stuff. Good morning. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's right. A decade of change. Yes. Is that what it's been for the last little while? Well, you go back. What was the date 10 years ago? Pretty simple question. It was... Recession? Gen- yes, January yeah. 2009. And we were in the throes of... There wasn't an, a positive headline no. anywhere, um, particularly about the stock market, but also, uh, for that matter, the real estate market too. Um, real estate went down, plummeted actually at that time, went, went down about 15 20% for mm. anybody had to sell then. Yeah. Um, a lot of people don't realize that because I had a couple clients, unfortunately, had closings and they were, it was not unconditional to sell their house. They had to sell their house and they had to take a lower price because nothing yeah, there was there was a few people that uh, when they went back and, and even later said, no, no, this is way overpriced. Yeah. And, uh, and got out of deals or, or you know, refinanced them. Yeah, you think on, like on a million dollar property, yeah, if yeah. you could get a 10% haircut yeah, on the price, that's a sure. hundred grand, you'd probably be willing to pay your lawyers another 20 grand just to get out of yeah, the, sure. <laughs> the million dollar yeah, deal. Good point. Yeah, for sure. And it was just so much, everybody was just basically scared. Yeah. And holding onto their wallets tight. Okay. Mm. And certainly the last thing anybody wanted to do would be to invest money. Mm-hmm. The market was down. Oh, let's see, at that time, it just came off of 2008, and it was down 35% the year December 31st, 2008. Great time to invest. Well, yes, but boy, <laughs> was it hard. It, it, you know, in retrospect, is wow, I wish I invested then. Yeah. Well, let's fast forward 10 years now. We just had a little bit of a dip in the last quarter. Mm-hmm. And you think, well, you know, market was down about 6% in, Jan- in December. And uh, it was actually up a little bit in November and down a tiny bit in October. So the last quarter, call the, the U.S. stock market was down about 6 7% mm-hmm. in the last quarter. Actually, the whole year was flat um, up till that point, and the last quarter went down. So yeah, it wasn't a great quarter. So what should investors do when the market was down? Probably think about maybe rebalancing. Yeah. Okay. It's a mm-hmm. great, great time to inval- rebalance. So if you're rebalancing- Sell everything and park it. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till it gets better. Wait till it gets better. <laughs> Put it on the sidelines and park it. And you know, it's funny you mentioned that because rebalancing, first of all, would be to sell the fixed income part of your portfolio and buy the equities. Yeah. Because the equity portion would have gone down a bit and you need to rebalance it. Mm-hmm. You know how hard it is to sell the one doing well to buy the one that's doing lousy? Yeah. Especially when, and this is why I said the decade of change, we have not forgotten about 2008, 2009. Hmm. It's like yesterday. Yeah. That 10 years went by, boom, gone. And now you see a little bit of a flutter in the markets. And there's all, you know, there's always a reason. Mm. This one has a lot to do with uh, the current president yeah. and all the tariffs and et cetera, what's going on there. <clears throat> and what has, what happened? Massive flow to cash, mm. massive flow. So, so far this year, it, $2 billion went into money market funds in the last quarter. Of, uh, of last year, $190 billion went to money market funds. Now, where did all this money come from? Well, maybe it just came from their bank accounts. No, $100 billion came from equities. Mm. Okay. People sold off Selling. the equities yeah. to buy the cash. <clears throat> and how often have we talked about the idea of, you know, the markets do drop. It's just the way it works. Mm-hmm. Every so often you have a negative year. And 
in fact, if any time, it's an opportunity. Yeah. You want to, you want this is a great time to buy more. But what do people do? It comes back no matter how, you know, kind of educated people are. It's interesting, human nature starts to take over. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, this could be another 2009 or 2008. What to do now? Mm. You know what? I'm going to park it. And that's what has been happening. So it's interesting. Um, in the last 31 years in the Toronto stock market, there has been 11, 11 negative years. Okay, in that period of time. So, you know, it's one, oh, sorry, actually, it's only 10, 10 negative years. So approximately one in three years is negative. And had you just put it in, you would have got about six and a half percent rate of return. Okay, nothing mm-hmm. earth shattering, but you'd be okay. So let's say you put in $100,000 into the Toronto stock market in 1988, and you simply left it, didn't do a thing. And you rode through these ups and downs, you never rebounced, it's all 100% equities. By the end of it, you would end up with $649,000 in 31 years. Not bad. You know, not too bad, too off, say, buying a $100,000 house mm-hmm. in 1988. Right. And you'd <coughs> probably be worth upwards to maybe five, four, five hundred thousand right now. Mm-hmm. So, but what if you did something different? And I, and I thought, I wonder what happens, because I'm looking through all these little red lines of negative years. What is, what if you say, okay, after a negative year, I'm selling and I'm not going to get back into the market for one year and then I'll get back in unless it was a negative year or the next year and then I'll wait another year. Hmm. So I said, okay, what happens if so in 1988 was a positive 7%. So you put your hundred grand in, it went up seven and then 89 was another 17% up. Well then 1990, it was down 18%. So then you take all your money out, kind of like people are doing right now. Yeah. Stick it in a 1% kind of holding tank, wait a year, and uh, the next year, of course, it went up 8%, and you buy. <laughs> Funny enough, you buy, after it's gone up, it goes down 5%. So then you pull it out again, you wait a year. Oh, you missed the 29% year when you wait a year that time by parking it. Mm-hmm. And and it, then it goes down 2.5%. What ends up happening is you keep selling low, of course. Yeah. So that same 100000 over that 31-year span. It seems a lot of work, too. Yeah, it is. I well, mean, that's the other part. that much attention to it all. Oh, and it's funny. The only time people get attention to this kind of stuff, to be honest, is when it's got a negative year. Yeah, when and it's bad. Because they weren't doing a whole lot. You hardly had any kind of murmur. Mm-hmm. And really, last year wasn't a terrible year. It was, a, was absolutely, it's not a great year. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants negative, but it wasn't terrible. Yeah. So you look, you look at it and said so that same person, instead of uh, having... 649,000 by parking it for a year and then buying in after the year just to make sure the market's going up because right. you want to make sure things are okay. Well, that really means when you say I'm, I'm waiting for things to be okay, really means I'm waiting for it to go up and I'm going to miss that opportunity of the uptick mm-hmm. and I'll buy in after it goes up. Yeah. Okay. But it feels better mm-hmm. because, oh, at least it's going up. And this is always- How like, can it feel better though when your habit explained to you like that? Well, What's yeah. good about it? <laughs> <laughs> Not much. <laughs> at what point do you start feeling better? Well, and this is where I'm looking at a lot of these commercials and kind of do-it-yourselfers. Yeah. This is the time they need some hand-holding because they are absolutely, people are pulling money out of those, you know, those self-funded, oh, I, I, I'm talking to a, a non-educated, a mm. non-financial planner at the other end, and he's making a purchase or she's making a purchase for me, and I'm saving some fees. Yeah. Well, do you know how much it costs to save those fees? Mm-hmm because they're missing the big rises, because they are taking it at the wrong time. 
So instead of 650,000 approximately, you would end up with 143,000 hmm. by doing that over and over again. And how much did it cost you for parking it? $505,000. So instead of getting 6.5%, you end up getting 1.2% return on your money. Mm -hmm. What a massive difference. And this is an emotional reaction. Now, again, you hit the nail on the head, Scott. It, I said it feels better. It feels good as soon as you say, you know what, that's it. I'm out of the market for a year. I'm just going to wait. But then it doesn't feel good when it goes straight up. Mm -hmm. So what's happened so far this year? Well, we just went through, it ended It ended on Tuesday, but we went through 12 straight days in the Toronto stock market of up days. Mm -hmm. It's actually, I don't know. I think no, 6%, 6.5% six yeah, up. Yeah, somewhere the in there. Yeah. Coincidentally, that's how much was lost in December. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So those ones that sold in December after went down 6%, then missed the 6% increase in 12 straight days. Yeah. And, and this is human nature, and this is why... Um, there's this behavior gap um, that people, it, it's just so hard to manage your own money. You really and need people a think planner. they're that, and God bless them if they are, if people think they're that smart to manage their own money, um, why would they have requested the services of, of a financial planner in the first place? Because that's sort of what, it's to, it's to alleviate all of this so you don't have to watch this. Yeah, I kind of, you know. You and look. worry about it and decide when you should be doing what you're doing. You're, you're absolutely right. And, and But then there's a bit of a greed factor comes in. It says, well, I mean, is it really worth that extra half percent I'm paying my financial advisor no. to do this? Is it really worth it? I could probably do it myself. And it's always easy to manage upswings in the market. Mm -hmm. But even then, <clears throat> when the market goes straight up, I don't see people selling the equities to buy the safe investments like bonds. Yeah. Because that's the greed factor. Might go higher. It might go higher. Mm -hmm. I might be selling the wrong time. Yeah. You, you probably will be. Oh, we don't even know when the right time is. Uh, in history, we can see when the right times were. It's so easy back looking yeah. in the rearview mirror and saying, Nice graph. Yeah, beautiful. I should have <laughs> sold should have sold there and bought there. Simple. Mm -hmm. But in reality, it's not that easy. There's no bells that go off. Nothing happens. So it's simply a matter of doing the right thing and rebalancing. When there's a, when it's, no, no I don't mean every time you see a little bump, but once a year, sometimes it, there's no real change in a year. So you mm -hmm. wait another year. But when there's a big swing like we saw this year, that's a great time to rebalance up or down. Mm -hmm. Selling those equities after they had a 28% year to move it to bonds that had like a 2% year, nobody wanted to do that either. Yeah. That's the greed side. So into, you know, this past week, they talked about uh, trying to find what's a good defense for those retirees um, that are affected. And they, they need an income and they're drawing. Mm -hmm. They're drawing on their investments. And this is, uh, they, they've got some extra risks. If you're just accumulating money, it's no problem. Yeah. Accumulating money, you ride through this. But we've talked about that sequence of return risk because after a year like last year, probably not a good idea to be selling equities when they're down. Mm -hmm. that's, that's where the sequence of return risk is. Also, you can't put it in GICs because you're not going to beat inflation and people are living too long. Yeah. So you got inflation risk and longevity risk. So you need to have a balanced portfolio and stick to the stick to the plan. So with everything going on, with the trade wars, slower sales in China, interest rates, and whatever the latest tweet was, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and there's a, you know you can't go a day without uh, something going on down south of uh, our border. All those uncertainties are affecting the market, and there and likely I would suspect 2019 will be volatile. Where we'll end up in 2019, nobody knows. But it's a great time to review your asset mix. And, and right now, if, if 
you know, you it may be an idea to, to sell fixed income and buy equities. But also there's a lot of products now, I know we offer them as managed products. So they have this package of different asset classes and they move it around for you. It takes that emotion out mm -hmm. so that you don't have to have, boy, should I sell now? Should I? You've got an expert overseeing the whole pot so that equities right now, he may he or she may be buying more equities right now. Mm -hmm. um, but again, I'm leaving that decision for him because that's their job. Really, they study this stuff per, forever. Yeah. And every day is all about trying to get the best return with the least amount of risk for our clients. And so these managed products have done very well. And I, I really recommend clients should be reviewing their overall plan right now. Seek of a financial advisor and at least have a second opinion. Make sure they're doing the right thing. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. 905-529-7165. You can call now and leave a message. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. And you can call them now. Leave a message at 905-529-7165. As well, don't forget the website, andyanddon.com. You can listen to old shows there and ask a question via the uh, listener inquiry button. All right, we're going to talk about taxes. Tax vigilance. How? Yes. You know, whether you're a high net worth individual, whether you have are just getting started, tax vigilance is something that is common at every level. What is that? What do you mean? It just in terms of how can I save tax? How can I reduce tax? And, you know, and, and all the tax strategies around minimizing tax because it, it and I think you might say, oh, well, only the rich want to really save tax. But at the same time, everybody at yeah. every level needs to be vigilant about tax and minimizing tax. And sometimes, you know, it's funny, those, those small things can add up. And it might be as simple as um, uh, just meeting with a client in the last couple of weeks when we were just discussing bank fees. And we sort of looked through uh, transactional records of their bank account to look at how much were they paying to actually operate their bank account. And uh, so there was a monthly cost of $7.95, unless you kept a minimum of five grand or something mm -hmm. like that. And uh, at the same time, then on top of that, there was $1.50 charges if you didn't if you didn't make a, a ATM withdrawal from your institution, if you did it from a third party institution, right. we started adding it all up. And I said, you know, you could switch to a different bank uh, and eliminate all of these fees. And it would probably, I think we worked it out, it'd save you about $250 a year. And, you know, but the pain of somehow moving that yeah. to become that, to save that money, it just seemed like I'll just pay the price. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when it comes to tax planning, a lot of times we're just, we get lazy or we're just not motivated to make the changes necessary to save those small amounts. But it's the small amounts that over time that really add up. Yeah. Right? They accumulate and uh, yeah. you know, we just get used to it. And if it was a bill rather than trying to save tax, yes, I think people would treat it differently. Yeah, you had to pay it. Yeah. Literally yeah. like write a check for it. Or, like, or, like a parking ticket. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We got this ticket, but if you do this, you don't have to pay this ticket. Yeah. Then people might think differently. Yeah. Well, you know, and I'm going to, but I'm going to come full circle back to what Don was talking about earlier about where we are historically and 10 years ago. And it reminds me of a story when, and well, so we flash back to, let's say December, 2008. And that was at the sort of 
not the peak, but because March 9th, 2009, so that's coming up in, in March 9th, 2019, will be 10 years since the absolute bottom of the market. Right. So uh, in December 2007, so we're going back about 14 months, uh, 15 months prior to the actual bottom of the market, a client called me and said, um, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I want to change my risk profile from being aggressive to being moderate or conservative. I'm just something, it just doesn't seem right. Like, you know, the, mm-hmm. like almost like he had a crystal ball right. that the market was going to go down. So I said, that's, that's fine. I mean, I, I, I have, I don't have a crystal ball that's any clearer than yours, <laughs> but ultimately you have to be comfortable with your risk profile. And, uh, so I said, let me work through the numbers. And we calculated in order to sell what he had and move to something more conservative, the capital gains tax was going to be about $20,000 on the portfolio. And so when I got back to him with that information, this is December 2007, he said, oh, 20 grand. Well, let's just wait a while. So nothing happened. Conversations go on into the next year, into, 20, into 20, uh, 2008. And by the fall of 2008, when things actually, the financial crisis had begun, by the end of the first quarter, I, start, I got a call. Geez, you know what? I think I should sell now. I got to get out. And the market had already dropped by probably about 25% at this point. And so now I'm on the offense saying, you know yeah. what? You don't want to sell when it's down. Yeah. You don't want to sell when you it's down. It. Yeah. So now about every 10 days, uh, two weeks, I get a call saying, I've got to get out. I've got to get out. I talk him off the cliff. He stays in the portfolio. Finally, I didn't hear from him for a couple of months. And on March 8th, the day before the absolute bottom of the market, he says, I can't, he calls me up. He says, I can't take it anymore. Sell everything. I'm going to move into cash. And when things settle out, settle down, uh, I'll buy back in. And I thought to myself, wow, how, how typical is that of a scenario where people get handcuffed about making a decision on their asset allocation or their comfort level with risk because he wasn't prepared to pay the 20 grand of capital gains tax to to change to a a more conservative portfolio, which in hindsight would have, who knew, but would have actually saved him money in the long run uh, because he made two mistakes when one was selling out at the bottom. And then from that point on, everything just went straight up. So there was no way that he got back in at any higher point down the road. And um, so psychology, and it's funny because somebody had asked me the question, you know, how difficult was it to keep people from selling during periods of, and when there's a down cycle, like we just saw at the end of December. And I said, you know, surprisingly, my motivation to keep people from selling is is very powerful. I've got a lot of examples I can use, mm-hmm. and usually I can talk people off the cliff and and stop them from selling. And I said, well, that's interesting. But I said, but the most disappointing thing is I wish I was better at convincing people to add more money, mm-hmm. invest when it's down. Yeah. So it's one thing to say, you know, stick with what you've got because it will turn and it'll come back. Mm-hmm. But to get you to go Add out, to it, but yeah. to get you to go out and go into your pocket and actually give me more money and invest at those low points mm-hmm. is always been the most challenging. And I don't know if that's an industry thing or just, well, you know, me in particular, but yeah. I, no, I, I found that there's, there's a lot of skill set around trying to manage the emotions around buying when things are down mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. And it, no question, Andy, I agree. It's uh, one thing is, uh, keeping what you got and saying, okay, I'll ride this out. 
but now keeping what I got plus adding more, mm -hmm. I might just lose more. Yeah. And so absolutely. It's like driving towards the edge of a cliff and speeding up. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And that, in, like in, that. in the mind of the, yeah. the potential client or the clients, absolutely. But in reality, that we're the only business this happens. When mm. I, I go to outlet malls and it's 80% off, and boy, there's, they love outlet malls. There's a lineup. There's a lineup there. <laughs> no, not 80% off even, but. It works for Walmart. It works for Walmart. <laughs> you know, everybody loves to save money when it comes to buying a product. But if you, but unfortunately, for some reason, investments don't seem to be a product. And what you're actually buying, you have to remember what you're buying. When you're buying uh, a stock, and let's say Coca-Cola or McDonald's or Apple or Royal Bank or even Investors Group for that matter, you're buying a company. And it's simply a betting game every day. What is this company worth? Now, is Coca-Cola worth less now? Are they selling a lot less Coke? Possibly. During a recession, they do. But are they going to do well down the road? I think Warren Buffett loves that one because that's one of his bigger holdings. Mm -hmm. And so riding it out, if you think of it as I'm buying a product, I'm buying Coca-Cola. I'm not only buying the can of Coke, I'm actually buying the whole company. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you're mm -hmm. buying it 25% off during this particular recession. Or actually, mm -hmm. in, in the 08, it was more like 35 or 40% in the, in the Dow, the S&P 500 or Dow Jones. So, but we, we don't look at that. What we simply do is look at our statement and these dollar signs going down. And you forget what you're actually getting. And you, and you simply say, I am buying, I am, my portfolio is down and I'm going to add more to my losses. I'm going to throw more of my money into this thing going down you forget that you're buying units. You're buying units of companies all over the world that have a track record to weather all these storms, eventually. But nobody knew March 9th was going to be. It's not like the bells all of a sudden no. went off. In fact, March 9th, I remember it distinctly because it was a black page on the paper. Instead yeah, of white, I remember that. you know, oh, instead of right. a white paper with black writing, it was a black page with white writing. Mm -hmm. and, and it was like, the end is nowhere in, in sight. Yeah. We can't see this ever have changing. <laughs> we don't know when. It's not close to us yet. The, it's still going to go down. Yeah. It started going up the next day. Yeah. And nobody knew that. You know, and, and in, in, in retrospect, thinking, could I convince people to take money out of their savings or out of their pocket or even people will borrow money, but to invest when things are that low is very difficult. But, and what you were talking about earlier, Don, was just revisiting what we call your asset allocation model. And so you may have had in simple terms, if you had a portfolio that was 50% stocks and 50% bonds during a period like we just saw in December or during a period like way back in 2009 and eight, where even though you may not, we may not have convinced you to give us more money at the time, if we could at least have convinced you to rebalance your portfolio, yeah. the allocation of your portfolio. Because if you think about a 50-50 mix, if stocks went down 30%, that 50% now represents, it's gone down 15%. Yeah, yeah. So now you're down at 35% and now you've got 65% of bonds. So if we at least just convinced you to sell 15% of your bonds, your existing money, mm -hmm. and reallocate that to the stocks so that you went back to your 50-50 mix, you would have been, uh, it would have been a good service done mm -hmm. because the resulting, uh, at the end of the day, the resulting returns would have been enhanced and right. it really helps in terms of your long-term rates of return. Because you're able to buy more units with the same yeah. amount of money mm -hmm. and those units in 2009, and this is the calendar year, January 1st to December. This isn't buying it right at the low. Mm -hmm. But if you said January 1st, I'm buying, and it continued to go down for two months, nine days later, mm -hmm. 
2009, the market went up 30.7%. So any money you put in January 1st mm -hmm. would have gone up 31%. Talk about a great way to enhance yeah. your returns. Exactly. And this is what rebalancing does. It takes advantage of these dips, but psychologically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Adding more You're selling to the, pile. the good stuff and yes. buying the bad stuff. And it's very tough to go through this. And this is why, again, this is what exactly Andy and I have done for years, uh, uh, going on to, I don't know, 30, 67 years combined. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, we've seen this before. And as much as it is easy to say, okay, I'm just going to buy this ETF or index fund or do it myself or Quest Trade or whatever, and they claim that 130 retirement will be lost in fees. I love to see the clients to hang in there for all that hmm. through thick and thin with nobody actually talking to them. Yeah. Okay, because I haven't seen that person. With us talking to them, we still have the odd one escape our grips. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they still leave yeah. and they still, and they said, I, I had two, interesting enough, Andy, that sold on March 9th. Wow. I had five leave me during that time. Yeah. Two on the worst day. I couldn't hold on to them any longer. I was down yeah. to the holding their fingernails and they just, unfortunately, that was the day they sold and, and they've never recovered. Yeah. They never recovered. No. They put it in GICs and they have lived a different life because of it. Because they weren't wealthy before and who knows, they may have run out of money. Yeah. They were on track though. I remember the plans. They were on track to be able to live to 100 and never run out of money. Yeah. And that plan still would have been 100% intact had they held on. Did you, did you ever call him back a few days later? A few days. <laughs> How you feeling A year now? later. Yeah. Well, we're, not, we're not one to rub it, rub it in, but at the same time, we don't <laughs> no, know. No, but I don't mean to rub it in, but even there's the lesson. Yeah. I mean, there's the lesson. And, yeah. and we don't even know, even a few days later, after it goes up a few days, it's so volatile. We, yeah. Was it, oh, it really going up or is yeah. it going to go back down again? Yeah. And nobody really it knows. Takes a it takes at least yeah, a while before you realize in hindsight that yeah. what would have been the right decision. It's a trend. Yeah. I did have one client, I got to say, that by, by September... They did buy back in, okay. mm -hmm. and they said it was a mistake. Um, we know we didn't listen to you. It's, it's our fault. They were in the States and Florida, so whatever the news they heard in Canada was nothing compared to being in Florida. Yeah. Their papers and media were even worse yeah. by far, because most of the trouble started in, yeah. in the U.S., yeah. so they just called and they got scared. They did buy back in September, and fortunately, they did because they resumed. They, they missed some, a lot of the uptick, mm -hmm. but they didn't lose all of it, and yeah. they were able to recover. Mm -hmm. And and I'm you know really happy that they did. I think this comes back too to a lot of the, you know, the value of working with a financial planner on a on your plan, your retirement plan, your tax plan, on all of your finances. And you know when you think about you were mentioning that commercial uh, that we were talking about uh, where the company touts that you could have thirty percent more money yeah. in, because you would pay less fees. And I think the commercial is something around where the person said, uh, the advisor says, yeah, but you would miss out on the professional advice that I give you. And the client says, you mean the 10 minute meeting that we have once a year? And I thought to myself, well, that is so telling. Yeah. Because if all you're getting yeah. is a 10 minute meeting right. once a year to review your finances, then you shouldn't be paying the yeah. additional fees yeah. because <laughs> there's no way that that is going to translate into future uh, growth or net worth for you in terms of your your uh, financial security. So, um, you know that that means you have the wrong planner. Uh, yeah. You what do. It means. Yeah. So, yeah. if as the advice to listeners out there is, if you're getting a ten or fifteen minute once a year review and appointment, 
then you definitely should be looking at getting a second opinion yeah, on absolutely. all of this. Um, and, and there's certain value to advice. And it's interesting. I, I, I love our new commercials, Invest IG, private, private Wealth Management, because they actually go over all the little ticks that we do. Mm-hmm. Is follow the plan. Mm-hmm. And a PFP, personal financial plan, goes through everything. What is your chance, your probability of success in retirement? Um, what about sequence return risk? What about uh, kids' education, your house, um, paying that off? Every box is ticked. And it's exactly what we do. I, I got to say, I'm a little commercial for IG Private Wealth right now, but the commercials, my opinion, weren't that good prior. Mm-hmm. I think they're fantastic now because yeah, yeah, they yeah. actually do, they actually show what we do. Yeah, yeah. And we're sitting with clients for two hours going through data collection, putting all this in, giving scenarios of how to improve their situation, how to save tax, how to increase their net worth. And we're not talking by a little. I had this conversation with a client last week. She was a, call it a GIC person all their life. And she's like, wow, look how well I did. And she did very well. She, she had a very high net worth. But what they don't see is how well they could have done. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I said that could have done would have been at least double. Mm-hmm. And you can see on that example I did earlier, and this time it was it was five times more money getting because of just letting it sit in the market rather than trying to guess the market. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that scenario I used. But we've shown this many times. If you just miss thirty one days, you lose half the return. Absolutely. Well, even and and estate planning, which is another component of yeah, this. And yeah. um, actually, I was reminded because last week I was talking about what happens when you die. Mm-hmm. And during the week, I had a uh, an appointment with an executive at uh, Arbor Funeral Services. And I said to him, you know, I just did a whole section on the radio talking about when you die, and we were talking about funeral homes and funeral services. And, uh, and I said, it was interesting to me that if you donate your body to science, <laughs> then you don't have to worry about funeral services because <laughs> the actual, the, the, mm. the institution, whether it's the Paid school, they'll come and pick your body up mm. and then there's no funeral costs. Mm. And he said, you know, that's true, except you have to have a plan B. And I go, what do you mean you have to have a plan B? A lot of times they reject your body. Oh, <laughs> the final. <laughs> oh. So what? They have to come over and kick the tires first? Right. No, we don't want this. Wait one. a minute. Can, oh. There's a little tick box and checklist to yeah. see, should we actually take this guy? I'm not that's so a, sure. The, the, ultimate, right. the ultimate rejection. <laughs> no, I'm, exactly. I'm yeah. dead and yeah. nobody wants yeah. my body. Yeah. Even science isn't interesting. <laughs> Even to say how you could have done it differently or maybe better. <laughs> no, we don't want that. No, sorry. Uh, we are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. We're coming back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now and leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. And don't forget their website, andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old archive shows or ask a question via the listener inquiry button. We're talking about an interesting um, piece that came out this week uh, in regard to how close we are to bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. And the number was like $200. Yeah, $200. How many people? people in Canada are $200 away from being bankrupt Mm -hmm. or insolvency. They can't afford their bills. Mm -hmm. And it was a startling number, 46%. And that to me is shocking that people are cutting that fine. Their bills and their debt payments are that close that they are literally running $200. So if if prices increase by another $200 in the month, Mm -hmm. they can't afford it. They're done. They're that close every single month. And now... Having said that, this isn't new. It wasn't exactly good before this new report came out. So in the end of September, it was 40%. Mm-hmm. So 40% 
we're within $200 of being insolvent. Mm-hmm. In one quarter, it's jumped to 46%. So maybe the increase in interest rates exactly was what enough it was. to do. A yeah. 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 little bit of increase in interest rates. There's been five interest rate rises since 2017. Yeah. And this was pretty, like, this wasn't a secret this was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Okay, the finance ministers were talking about it. Oh, yeah. They are going on, get prepared for higher interest rates. They changed the mortgage rules. Mm-hmm. They did everything to try to warn people. Although I did hear a report last week from one of the banks that their five-year fixed rate mortgage went down. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, That's true. Of, yes, they did. And, uh, How I guess, do you explain that? Well, they actually are saying they may curb interest rate rises right now because the economy is kind of not sure which way it's going. Right. Um, perhaps the tariffs, and there's lots of things going on, as we all yeah. know. And I think part of that being a five-year rate, yeah, uh, five-year five bonds yeah. and long-term bonds, uh, that that level, that area of the interest rate mm-hmm. curve right. has actually come down a bit, but the short-term rates have continued to rise. Right. So. It, yeah, you, there's no reductions in the short-term rates. Right. Uh, they've still been rising. That long-term rate came down a little bit. Right. So that, they dug into this just a little bit further mm-hmm. and said 31% of people don't make enough to cover their bills and debt payments. And that was a 7% increase from September. Mm-hmm. So already mm-hmm. they don't wow. make enough. Wow. Yeah. 31%. So call it a third of Canadians. Mm-hmm. That's insane. That third of Canadians are there are literally can't, aren't making enough money to cover their bills right now. And it was already bad at about a quarter, 25% prior to this in September. So there really is no wiggle room. And 45% are basically going into debt right now, every month, just to get by. Yeah. And and probably my biggest pet peeve, as you know, Scott, I, you're probably going to mouth the words as I say them, is those payday loans. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Absolutely can't stand those things because that's what they prey on. They can't get credit elsewhere. So instead of going bankrupt and trying to get into a position that they can afford these or even go to their creditors and ask for a deal of some sort. Help out, yeah. They go to a payday loan service thinking it's going to get better. Mm-hmm. And that is a debt spiral that you'll, I can guarantee you're not going to get better doing that. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's no end in sight. The only one going to get rich on that are the payday loan companies. Yeah. Okay. So when I looked at this a little further, it was kind of interesting. And I was shocked at the same time. Where do you think the worst um, provinces were in terms of insolvency rates, or, or, in, or in other words, the most affected in the last quarter? I would say BC. Alberta. Oh, uh, that's Ro- a good one too. And I thought Alberta because yeah. of the oil. That, right. that came to me. In sure. fact, BC and Alberta didn't even come into it, so they must have been okay, oh. <laughs> funny enough. Um, <laughs> it was Saskatchewan and Manitoba. Hmm. Uh, Saskatchewan does have oil too. Okay? Yeah. It does, yeah. Just because the borders there doesn't mean it stops, mm-hmm. right? But Manitoba, I've never heard anything, and they're the worst. Fifty-six percent, where that two hundred dollars, yeah, would be would put them over the top. Fifty-six percent. That's an eight percent increase since September. Um, Alberta. I'm sorry, Alberta was next at forty-eight percent. Right. Okay, they went up eight percent also. BC was not on the list. Quebec and Ontario were forty-six percent. Mm-hmm. Okay, they had gone up. Ontario went up six percent in the last quarter and Quebec went up 5%. This was a real shocker, Atlanta, Canada. They were 45% and their insolvency rate actually went down 4%. Hmm. They were doing the best. Hmm. When's the last time you said Atlanta, Canada is doing the best financially, <laughs> okay? The best yeah. savers? <laughs> um, yeah, maybe more they're responsible? saving. Well, maybe their ups and downs are a little more used to it, More perhaps. retirees. Yeah. yeah. They're the whole industry of, uh, 
you know, fishing, etc. Maybe they're more used to the ups and downs, and yeah. they save. They don't. They don't live at the same standard of living. Yeah. The cost of living is definitely or they less, might have there. less debt. Good yeah. point. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of things. So it came to another study then, and it said, why don't people save money? They know this stuff. It's not like you got some really intelligent people that are getting themselves in financial trouble. And and they thought there's a, they actually found psych- psychologically there might be a personal conflict of saving for yourself. It's almost like you're being greedy for yourself. You got your family's future. You got other people to look after, maybe giving a gift to your parents. Rather, and, you know, I'm going to save for myself. And it actually goes against our human nature of, of wanting to help out our families and instead of just helping out ourselves. So this is why getting a pre-authorized check is a way to go. Having an automatic payment, because we have no problem in buying a car, mm-hmm. okay, <laughs> for <laughs> ourselves, making the payments on that car. And every month we make that payment, no problem at all. But for some reason, savings doesn't click in. And they, honestly, they, they went through 2,000 people on this survey and to try to find an idea of what makes them tick. It's quite an interesting study. At the end of the day, how much better off was somebody with a pre-authorized check, percentage-wise, than somebody just try to do it themselves? I'd say 50%. You're only 100% off. <laughs> <laughs> it was 152%. Wow. Which is shocking. So here's another added value that a financial planner does is to make sure you start on a savings schedule. If we can get you to save monthly, you're 152% higher in terms of the amount you're going to save. Hmm. And that's half the battle right there. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. 905-529-7165. You can call now and leave a message and check out the website at andyanddon.com. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. And check out the website andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. There you can listen to old shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. We're talking about winter weddings. Who's going down the aisle? Who's getting married here? It's a new winter, thing. Winter oh, weddings. Could you imagine last weekend? on yeah. a win- Oh, that <laughs> yeah. would have been a little bit <laughs> oh, cold. That's those, a real winter Those wedding. pictures would have parkas on. Bring out yeah. the hot chocolate and schnapps. Yeah. <laughs> Are winter weddings cheaper? Well, I don't know. Mm. Maybe. Could, yeah. If you're going south. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's an idea. Well, destination weddings are, are a little cheaper. For sure. Yeah. That, that definitely saves a little bit of money. But there's a lot of people getting, you know, getting married in the, win- in, in the winter. Yeah. Um, why? Just it's something they wanted to do. I don't know necessarily if, if anything is less expensive. Yeah. But it's definitely. Now you're sort of off season, I guess, maybe. But everybody wants to have an exceptional wedding, right? Yeah. You always want to have something that was memorable, yeah. that, uh, that that everybody wants, you know, had a great time, et cetera. Cheap. And um, just a bit of research that we did on this. Um, the Wedding Bells magazine uh, found out that the average Canadian couple spends well, I could make you guess how much, but I'm going to tell you. $30,717 on a wedding, including the honeymoon. Oh, that's not bad. Thirty. <laughs> 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 well, in that case. <laughs> and, um, and Smart Bride Boutique said 76% of Canadian women feel that today's brides are pressured to have an extravagant wedding beyond their financial means. 
76 hmm. percent. do you think it has a lot to do with age well but, but but see that comes back to me that's all about marketing right yeah that's about marketing that's about social media that's about everything that brides see in those magazines yeah. that and and all the infer- all, you know all the stories around weddings that um are or maybe pressuring them to do these extravagant weddings. So some of the kind of do's and don'ts to make sure that your wedding is an extraordinary event, but not an extraordinary debt at the Mm. end of the day. And number one is establishing a budget. And uh, the wedding experts, they call it white blindness. (laughs) 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 And the white blindness is basically buying your wedding without considering the price. You know, you're just going all in. And um, basically, the experts tell us it takes about 13 months to plan a proper wedding. And obviously, the first step is to determine exactly what you can comfortably afford and stick to the budget. Yes. Right? It's so easy to add layer on the, all mm. the things like you, a think, renovation. Think you have to yeah. think you have to have. Mm. Yeah. Um, number two, the venue. The venue becomes almost always the largest and most expensive budget item. Yeah. So shop around for the best deals. Obviously, choosing the less expensive option might mean you know getting married in a reception hall with a less traditional setting, or a backyard, or a park, or a beach. Legion. <laughs> the Legion. Yep. But you can definitely save some money if it's the venue. Um, obviously, the guest list and how many people are going to be coming. Mm. And today, the uh, wedding costs, um, the average Canadian wedding includes approximately 120 guests, hmm. which is almost exactly which is almost exactly what we had at our wedding. Yeah, That's, it sounds same average. With, yeah. Same with us yeah. too, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it can yeah. be difficult, but keeping that guest list to lower, like 50 or so, will obviously significantly reduce your costs. And one of the best stories I ever heard was a, was a, a parents who said, here's what we're going to do. Anybody that we invite to the wedding, we'll pay for. Anybody that you invite to the wedding, you pay for. That's a good idea. And that mm-hmm. way, we'll all work out our budget and mm-hmm. we'll know exactly what we're going to pay. That's and sometimes really that means you might want to take, you can bring more and pay more, or you yeah. can bring less and pay less. Um, the wedding day. So the wedding day, the most expensive days are which day? I would guess Saturday. Saturday's yeah. the most expensive Summer day. months. So, but if you can do uh, a Friday or a midweek or even a Sunday, you're going to save money right off the Just bat. Just on your bar bill. Just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they got to go to work the next Tuesday day. Tuesday wedding. <laughs> <clears throat> um, do it yourself. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times sweat equity, whether it's renovating your place or whether it's a wedding, is going to reduce the overall cost, making your own invitations, doing your own table decorations, decorating the venue, speaking with clients who had two weddings last year, two sons that got married. Oh. Uh, the uh, husband and wife, they spent uh, probably, they said probably about a hundred hours making a wooden centerpiece that held a candle for about Seventy tables. Yeah. So, wow. but the cost wow. savings was probably about four grand. I know someone that did that too. <clears throat> yep. yeah, yeah. And everybody got Made to take centerpieces. Yep. yep. Got to take them all home. Yep. Hundred hours for four grand. Mm. Nothing wrong with that. Um, doing it, uh, do without or do with friends. So something like a DJ mm-hmm. or having somebody that you know who's a friend who's good at this is obviously going to save you some money because it's not going to be uh, all the professional yep. costs mm-hmm. associated with doing that. And um, uh, another good great tip is hiring a student. Hiring a student, you might hire somebody who's a culinary student to come in and do a special mm-hmm. appetizer or a special dessert. Mm. You might hire a student who's um, um, focusing on photography and to come in and do your video or do mm-hmm. your photographs. And as a new student, their cost is going to be very mm-hmm. co- uh, inexpensive, but 
hopefully I think you can get a really nice result as well. And finally, as Don was saying at the beginning, doing a destination wedding, mm-hmm. right? And apparently about 15% of Canadian weddings do take place abroad or out of the country. And a quarter of those destination weddings fall from November to April. Right. So, um, and obviously with a destination wedding, the one thing is keeping that guest list small because yeah. uh, it, you're, you're relying on your guests to pay for a significant cost yeah. to get yeah. there and enjoy the wedding along the way. So, I mean, at the end of the day, the wedding day, it's obviously everybody wants it to be extraordinary. They want it to be wonderful. They want it to be memorable. But from a financial planner's perspective, you also want it to be affordable. And so planning, 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 lots of ways to be creative, lots of ways to save costs on a wedding. Uh, Should you assume that any money you're going to get from your guests will help pay for this? Well, maybe that's a cultural thing to some extent, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, some people just feel they need to give a gift yeah. and some people Toaster feel they need to do make yeah. a monetary gift yeah, and that's... some people need to equate what the plate costs are going to be. Yeah. There's all different levels of, uh, of contribution my, from the guests for My sure. 17 clocks I got from mine would say <laughs> no. <laughs> You're always on time now. Think about that. <laughs> Still got three or four of them hanging around, don't you? you? Got it. <laughs> all right. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson, Andy Lister, and Don Fox have been here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now, leave a message. They'll Turn your call at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. Thank you, gentlemen. See you next Thanks, week. Scott. Thanks, Scott.